0: If God wills evil, and what God wills is good, then evil is good. Right. And God commanded Adam to not eat from the tree, but God willed him to do it? Huh. By, so that's what Calvin says in, in his commentary on Genesis. God ordained Adam to eat the fruit, and it could not be otherwise. He had to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if God wills you to do the opposite of what he commands you, Then the will of God is opposite the command of God. So when God commands you, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's just his revealed will. His ordaining will is that you go out and have a good time.
1: Hi, guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and we don't have Brian with us right here, but he is behind the camera on that side of the studio. What's up, heretics? And you guys know what we do here, we help challenge the status quo, we help you th- learn to think biblically, and of course, escape your echo chamber. So with that being said, though, we do have a friend of ours, a special friend, uh, we have Jordan Ferrier with us today, um, for all of you guys who are watching, uh, we would try to do all three of us, but it's actually a little awkward in the studio, so we just chose to keep it this way for now, um, but Brian might be giving us some peanut gallery remarks as we go. Uh, but before we get started, don't forget to like, subscribe, do all the stuff that is internet stuff that I hope you know what to do by now if you don't you probably shouldn't be on here um, but the other thing is is our favorite comment was by piano underscore pixie 7 um, and piano pixie whoever you are uh, sorry that name just kills me but at 1234 when Yoda uses the force to move the book and if you guys go to our last episode uh, you will find if you click that it is pinned on the episode you'll click it you'll literally see little Yoda on our book stand and the book is just sliding and falling off slowly. So it literally looks like Yoda's like pushing it. It's pretty funny, actually. So I just wanted that, that's an Easter egg for all of you guys. So um, anyway, uh, now for those of you who are not involved, because uh, we have quite a few like audio listeners and quite a few uh, YouTube subs and people who come in regularly, but not all of you are part of our uh, church split like apologetics page, which is on Facebook. Um, if you have been, you would know, uh, if you are a part of that group, you probably know Jordan, at least by name by now, but he is kind of one of the people behind the scenes at the church split, helping us out with some things. And he is known for, you're known for essays. I think <laughs> it could be. So everyone knows you for the guy who writes a lot. So, um, but right now what we have here is there's a book that actually Jordan wrote a long time ago or not so long ago. You recently revised
0: it, right? Yeah. I recently revised it. In yes. September and it, of this year yes. or last year.
1: Uh, well, what is time anymore since 2020? Yeah, right. It's all, one, it's all one long time until it's all over. Um, but it's Kelvin and Lewis solving the riddle of the Reformation. Uh, you can actually get it on Amazon, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, And what it is, is it's dealing with the problems of the Reformation, right? The problem of the Reformation, the questions that people were asking of the Reformation. Um, and you really just kind of compare what John Kelvin and C.S. Lewis both wrote. Now, can you just tell us a little bit, because what this really comes down to is, I always say you have a special gift, uh, <laughs> you have a special gift of being able to wreck Calvinism in five seconds, um, it is your gift, uh, but it's funny, because you're not a, you don't, you're not a pastor, you don't do theology full-time, uh, it's just something you're, you've studied for
0: 30 plus years. Yeah, it's S- just something that I'm passionate about, and that keeps coming up, so. I, I keep studying it and keep writing about it. And, um, you know, people that want to have answers, um, you know, that's how I was. I wanted to have an answer. So I studied it. And when I think I found the answer, I would put it in writing and send it to friends. And they would tell me I was wrong. And I'd start over <laughs> <laughs> until, <laughs> you know, until, until it seemed to work. So
1: Well, that's kind of what you've done a little bit for me a little bit. Um, you were actually friends with someone I grew up with, good friends with uh, our, fr- our friend Craig. Yeah, and uh, he took some time before he uh, he even introduced us. I think that's whole, very. The, if Craig is many things and wise is one of them, and one of the things that he did was like, you know what, Will just left the IFB. He's very just touchy probably right now he's very argumentative jordan is also argumentative very yeah yeah
0: (laughs) you and (laughs) i high in disagreeableness (laughs) Uh,
1: very high both of us very high on the disagreeable meter and so uh with that being said craig was like well let's wait uh before we introduce these because it's either going to be awesome or horrible and i would
0: definitely say you and i have gone back and forth on a lot of topics but it's been a good thing yeah, I've learned a little bit from you, and you've gotten a college education from me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can give you a bill for the seminary degree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure we get in touch with Trinity to make sure they forward the money yeah, to you, okay? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I uh, should at least get a cut. Like, come right? on. Like, some sort yeah. of like what ro- royalties? Yeah, kickback, something. <laughs> so uh with that being said, um I think you turning it, my mic off over there. No, no, <laughs> I should though. I'm about to turn you off. Like this episode's oh, a scratch. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start over. Um so what I wanted to quickly do a little bit was uh I don't think so. A lot of people um they might not know who you are and whatnot. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why did you write this book and what was your obsession with the Reformation?
0: Yeah, um, I I was raised uh, independent, fundamental churches of America, so IFCA. And um, my brother was really into Jewish ministry. He went to Israel and he got, he was involved with a, uh, ministry Baptist for Israel and he was taking trips to Israel so I signed up for one of those and um, about a month before we were supposed to leave he flipped the tractor over on himself Ooh. or trying to pull out a stump and just giant tractor and um, yeah it it flipped over on top of him and should have killed him but somehow the tractor didn't touch him but he broke his arm mm. when he Put his arm out to break his fall, so he couldn't go. To, he couldn't go on the trip. So, so I went to Israel for a couple of months, and that was when this whole topic of election and predestination—that was the first time that I heard it. Just in the evening, we were standing around talking, and there were some guys from I think Piedmont Piedmont Baptist. I don't know if you've heard of Piedmont College. Does it sound familiar? But they were talking about it, and I was standing there, and you know, you just kind of had this visceral reaction you know it's like if it's all fatalism then why are we here (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like why did we have to go through this if it's already all determined why didn't god just create us you know why did not He create me in heaven and you in hell and not have to go through this whole rigmarole (laughs) you know that's that was just my initial thought you know so then you know came back home from there and i went to uh it was Grand Rapids Baptist College, Cornerstone University now. Mm. And, you know, the topic came up there in theology class and um, just had friends and relatives, and we just kind of went at it, just kind of uh, turned into a passion. Gotcha. So, so um,
1: and, then it's, and then over time, obviously, you, you have a, I mean, you literally wrote a book about Calvin and Lewis. So you have also yeah. a love for the works of C.S. Lewis.
0: Yeah, I love C.S. Lewis. Um, so that kind of tells you which side I took in the book. But, but yeah, you know, the, the thing for me was um, I read some of C.S. Lewis first. And then I read Geisler's book, Chosen But Free. Mm-hmm. And I went around calling myself a moderate Calvinist. That's what I thought I was. Oh, wow! So, I did not know that. Yeah. So I was a moderate, you know, a Geisler moderate Calvinist. And, you know, I'd call myself a moderate Calvinist and I'd say, oh, you know, those Calvinists have Calvin wrong. So I ordered Calvin's commentaries, you know, the whole, the whole set of, you know, 300 of these suckers or whatever it is. Oh my But goodness. it's like a, you know, it's a whole bookshelf of them. Let me take a look at this That break. was Genesis. So, you know, so oh. I ordered his commentaries. I started ordering his writings, his books, and I started reading um, and I, you know, I was reading Geisler in one hand and Calvin in the other, and I was like, man, this isn't lining up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Geisler's saying this and Calvin's saying that, and I'm, I was just more and more confused about it. Um, and then I picked up C.S. Lewis. I ordered, you know, I've got the book here. Um, they had this thing for 20 bucks on Amazon, and I, I ordered this, and I read it, And I got to the problem of pain. And I was like, he's talking about what Calvin said. And then it just like clicked for me. Mm. So um, that's why I came up with that idea for the book. I figured nobody cares what I think anyways. So I'm just going to say, you know, here's what Calvin's saying. Here's what C.S. Lewis is saying. I'm putting this stuff in order so that you can read it for yourself and make your own decision. Nice. Wow. You got that. That's a Big book for 20 bucks. Yeah. That's yeah, was a huge. great deal. Yeah.
1: I'm going to have to look that up. That's awesome. So yeah. I don't um, know if it's
0: available anymore. So, I don't know. Especially uh, in hardcover. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so. Um, so, well, that's interesting. So, I mean, I think I too can say I definitely have recently uh, over the last couple years, we kind of became obsessed With like history, church history, theology, philosophy. Like over the last few years, it's like suddenly it it hit me that I mean, we're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We're in like Kelvin Central. We're
0: in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Yeah, yeah, we're the buckle of the Bible Belt.
1: Yes, and we, we, and then it's like we have Calvin University. We have all and Reformed churches on every corner. If it's not Reformed, it's probably Catholic. This is our area, Um, (laughs) so um with that being said, uh what were so you the, you kind of explained what kind of got you fascinated with it because it was the idea of fatalism because now do you think it's true to say that calvinism uh is fatalism, or do you think that's not fair
0: no i i don't i don't know it it really doesn't matter the The way to know what is true or not doesn't come down to that okay. so to me most like we're in this we see a lot of the same discussions online mm-hmm. and to me most people take you know like the William Lane Craig thing they say you know he's he's saying to James White you're saying that God decreed this that makes God the author of evil you know you're going to a conclusion instead of starting at the premise so the you know the you can say the conclusion is fatalism but that doesn't really give you a definitive answer right. you need to start with the premises when you right when you start with the premises and you read calvin and you he tells you where he starts all you got to do is listen to him and believe him right so i start with the premises and then you know whether it's fatalism or not you can decide that for yourself but
1: fair enough okay yeah. well with that being said then um, what do you think when somebody approaches the topic of the Reformation? So we're dealing, for those of you who do not know, the Reformation really there is, obvi- you know, everyone knows as Martin Luther uh, nailing the papers to the door, having yeah. an issue um, there. But a lot of people also know it for the rise of the, ref- the Reformed, the Reformed Church. And right. there, there was a battle a little bit of the view of God and uh, the, how that reconciles with man. And there these were all things during that time that were hot button topics. There's still hot button topics. Topics, but literally, so hot button there, you might get you burned at the stake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might be you actually
0: can, you can get called a heretic real quick. <laughs> exactly. So, um... yeah, I mean, you know, William Lane Craig and James White just had this debate. You mm-hmm. know, thousands of people are are t- tuning in and watching that, and you know, Tim Stratton and and James White next month, and people are excited for it. Right. It, yeah. it, it's something
1: that's invigorating. It's exciting. Yeah. Um, but so what do you think? Um, I, I, know you got some, you got some notes and stuff, but what were some of the things that you think, um, where people need to start when they're jumping into some of these theolo- theological topics in order to come out with a proper view of something? Cause I don't think it's, it's good to say that there's a, uh, all views are equally proper, right? Right. Um, there's gotta be, if, if, we, one of us has to be wrong somewhere. Maybe both of us, but it's got to be a yeah. right answer. So what yeah, we? C.S. Some...
0: Lewis says something like, um, you know, th- there may be many different beliefs about God that will get you to heaven. You know, like there's going to be Roman Catholics in heaven. There's going to be, uh, you know, Reformed Baptists in heaven and General Baptists in heaven. And you know, shocker, there may even be some Mormons in heaven. You know, <laughs> so but. You know, even though there's a lot of different views, some are more right than others. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's, you know, I know both of us are really passionate about, we, it's, it, it's not our dog in the fight. It's not that we want to be right. It's that we want to know what is true. Right. Absolutely. And, so in other words, you aren't Mr. Always Right? No,
1: as far no, as, as our science says.
0: Yeah. That's why, you know, in our group, I like to say, I am not a smart man. <laughs> and, you know, I don't say that, you know, so that, you know, I'm like diminishing myself. I'm saying that I'm stupid. I'm just saying that, you know, a couple of weeks ago I came to church to see you mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, I've been saying this thing about Plato for 15 years. And I just realized, you know, this week because of our discussions that what I was saying was wrong. So that's kind of my, like my default thing is to say, look. I'm not a smart man because I know over the last 30 years I started out a moderate calvinist and there's been all of these different beliefs that I've had that I've I've realized were wrong. Mm. And when we have the intellectual integrity or intellectual virtue that when we believe something that's wrong and we're shown what is right to change our mind Right. You know, and we, we had that discussion like a month ago. Yeah, you, yes. you, you messaged me and Craig and you're like, oh, there's all these people saying I'm too stubborn to, to change my mind, but I'm in here discussing with you guys, changing my mind every week. Right. You know, you're learning new stuff and changing your mind and changing your beliefs and... And we're trying to go where the truth goes. Right, exactly. And And sometimes the best way you can do that is going, I'm thinking
1: this, this makes sense right now. I'm going to take what I think, I'm going to throw it at you and see what you say. And if you can defeat it like that, then I'm like, okay, that wasn't good.
0: Let's start Back over. to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: it's so necessary, uh, and it's it's important to be objective. And um, and I think that's one of the things that some people get mixed up a little bit with what we do here, because some people are like, oh, they're spicy. They just like to kick the hornet's nest. Yeah. Look, ch- truth is worth it, right? To try to find out truth mm-hmm. is worth risk offending. It's also good. It's also worth uh, humiliation. You might be wrong, and it's humbling. Mm -hmm. So um, now one of the things that you and I have talked about before is a lot of people, uh, especially the Christian sphere, say you have to start with scripture. Um, You and I uh, disagree uh, with that because we say we have to start with philosophy. Um, Now, philosophy is something you're passionate about. Want to talk about that for a little
0: bit? (laughs) Pull pull that thread for a while? (gasps) Yeah. You know, um, Thomas Aquinas says, um, but first philosophy. C.S. Lewis says the philosophical question comes first and you know we're, there's that verse that where paul says do not be deceived by vain philosophy or you know whatever uh, that's not an exact quote i know that's not quite right but he it says, says it about don't the be philosophies of about, yeah yeah the false philosophies of this world philosophy. and right and so you know i've run into people they're like well you know scripture alone and philosophy doesn't matter and i'm like well how do you know that you're not being taken captive by this philosophy if you don't know what philosophy is. Right. And, you know, we were talking about the solas. I can't find where sola scriptura, sola fide, where those were used before the 20th century. Mm. You know, I, I wanted you to ask James White. You know, <laughs> I, my theory is that the fight and fundies came up with fundamentals because that was like 1880s i believe. Yep, it was in the 1880s. It was when the when the fundamentals came up and so the calvinists were like, "Hey, we need we need our own, you know, <laughs> our own fundamentals." So they came up with the solas. Hmm. Sola scriptura as, as a reaction to the to the five fundamentals. So I don't you know, I don't know if that's exactly true, but I can't find where the we're Those solas were mentioned before the twentieth century. You know, if somebody's watching, send it to Will because I'd like to know. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Where these were first mentioned? Because you know, Luther, in his conclusion to the bondage of the will, talks about reason. Calvin talks about reason. Um, It's not like they're believing or teaching sola scriptura, right? So well, I mean, I don't think you can because even to. uh, that, that's what
1: I've always hit people with. Sola scriptura, saying scripture alone. I'm like that. It's in and of itself is a philosophy, yeah, right, <laughs> right. Because philosophy yeah. is just something that is true or a study of the nature of things, right? The nature of reality. So when someone's like Sola scriptura, it's like okay, great, but the Muslim also can just say, well, Sola scriptura, and now who wins? Well, yeah. somebody has to, somebody has to be right. right. Well, how do you how do you do that by philosophy? by arguing first why the scripture makes sense. Uh, in fact, I, I know you got plenty to say, but one of the things I said on Sunday in our apologetics class was a lo- because we just went over uh, canonicity and the history of how the oh, canon yeah, was found right. and, uh, and applied. And one of the things I was telling some of the older people in the church, because some of the, you know I was like, you know, the thing is, that some of you guys were raised in a Christian America, and it's now post-Christian. Let's just be honest about what, what the culture is my generation has no idea why they should take the Bible seriously. So where you were able to just uh, oftentimes appeal to the Bible, we don't have that luxury. We have to now give the reason why the Bible should be taken seriously at, at all. Right. So philosophy is extremely important. Um, so what are some of the main things uh you think that people need to be asking philosophically? And what are the main, maybe the laws of logic, things like that?
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing I would say is I, I got my first degree from Granifah's Baptist College, mm, okay. which, you know, which is Cornerstone now. And then um, a few years ago, I went back to Liberty University to get another degree to get a Bachelor of Science to go with my Bachelor, bachelor of Arts. And um, I had to take a philosophy class. And I wrote my first paper, and I got my grade back, and the professor put in the notes. He says, he says something to effect that. It looks like you're the victim of Liberty's policy that every person that comes there has to take philosophy because you've, you know, your paper is so well done. He's like, (laughs) you must have already had philosophy somewhere else, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but if philosophy isn't important, then why does Liberty University, who has, you know, 20,000 students every year, why do they require every single, you know, even an accounting degree? Right. You have to take philosophy. Right. So it's not like it's not important, and and our pastors are being taught philosophy. Whether they want to like admit you're it or avoiding not. Avoiding it, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. What are some of the uh, some of the main things
1: uh, as far as that was concerned? Like, because I think the laws of logic are important because that's part of philosophy. A lot of people don't think they that
0: they are, right? Well, yeah. Ph- philosophy and reason are they're technically separate. But you know, they go together, yeah right, so right. philosophy is what it what it means is the love of wisdom, mm. so philosophy is the love of wisdom, whereas um the laws of logic are reason, and you know Aquinas calls reason the divine science mm. because um you know c s. Lewis says, without reason, there could be no science, right, and you know that's part of the enlightenment was what came out of the Reformation was people saying that um, that God is a particular way and we can know things, that, that something will always be the same. So, like, you know, like the laws of logic, the um, the law of rational inference. If I take this cookie dough, you know, <laughs> like you go to the grocery store and you buy a tube of, of Toll House, you know, if I bring these home and I cut them, you know, half an inch thick and I put them on a cookie sheet and I put them in my oven at 350 degrees for 10 minutes, they're going to come out looking like this. If I do the same thing tomorrow, it's going to be the same. That's, that's reason. Mm. It doesn't change. Tomorrow, you don't have to cook them for 20 minutes at the same, you know, <laughs> same dough, same temp, temp, you know, same thickness, it's consistent. all things being the same. Right. It, it's, you don't have to change it every day. Right. But that was kind of what kicked off the enlightenment was that um, there are that reason that there are reasons for the way that things are and we they are discoverable. Right. And that, you know, that like kicked off the enlightenment, in my opinion, that, you know, brought about science. So like C.S. Lewis says, without without reason, there is no science. Right. And reason is the divine science because it comes from God. So you yeah, have the four laws. Law of identity, Um, A is A, Um, the law of excluded middle, um, which is what, A is, if A isn't B and B isn't C, then A isn't C. Right, (laughs) right, right. Something like that. Right, right. But I mean, that's not exactly right, but uh, the law of excluded middle. Then you have the law of non-contradiction. And if the law of non-contradiction isn't true, then I can read a verse of scripture and say, this is what it means and you can read the same verse of scripture and say the opposite and we can both be right. Right, cuz there's no contradiction. Because there's no yeah, you can't have contradictions. Right,
1: that's some, uh, the uh, law of non-contradiction. Without that it's all subjectivism. There's really no truth. Right. Cuz yeah, without... anything can contradict itself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the the law of deduction or rational inference, that's like, you know, I put this cookie dough in the oven for 10 minutes, it comes out looking like out, this it's yeah. gonna come out like a cookie <laughs> right yeah so that's where <laughs> proper deduction if your premises are true and they're properly combined you the the conclusion necessarily follows so God is good if God gives a gift then the gift is good so God is good God gave Adam the gift of you know we call it free will um, so if if God is good and God gives good gifts and God gave Adam the gift of free will, then free will was a good gift. Right. So that that's the law of rational inference.
1: Right. Right. So, um, and that's helpful. The reason why we've actually never talked about those on here. Like I'll just say like, yeah. I, I'll refer to like, it violates the law of non-contradiction, yeah. um, but like everyone's like,
0: okay, what is that? What's so that? Yeah. But I'm glad, uh, we you were able to yeah, I have those bit. in the book, you know, a brief, a, a brief discussion of it, so it's there for you to, to look at. And that comes from Geisler. His book on reason, I think, is it's short, sweet, gives you a good foundation.
1: Right. So um, now when it comes to the law of non-contradiction, I think that is one of the things that I, I personally have really, it has really helped me, uh, the more I've understood that, to build a proper theology.
0: Yeah. So we could give an example from scripture that, you know, that might help. To help You know, so you understand how it how it works in scripture or or how I think it works when you look at scripture. So um so you've lied, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) Does this dress make me look no, honey, it doesn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Honey, it's not the
0: dress. No. (laughs) Right. Uh, So yeah, so lying lying is a thing that people do, right? Yes. Yes. Lying is a thing that I have done. So Mm. The Bible says all things are possible for God. With, all, with God, all things are possible. So you would say, well, lying is a thing. If all things are possible for God, then it's possible for God to lie. God, God can lie. But it, unfortunately, it says over, or fortunately, I suppose, <laughs> and, you know, in Hebrews, it says it's impossible for God to lie. So you're like, well, here's a contradiction. All things are possible for God. It's impossible for God to lie. But with reason, we say, um, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God is the truth. So this is how C.S. Lewis, you know, his formula is he says, if, um, if you have a thing, if you, if you have, um, you know, God, who is the truth, he cannot be a liar because a thing that is both the truth and a liar is nonsense. Right. Because it violates the law of non-contradiction. Right. Something can't be both the truth and a liar at the same time and in the same same sense. Right, right. So you put those three verses together, and that's what I described to you as um, Thomistic realism. Mm-hmm. So, you know, classical theism, realism. That realism is that you use reason to put things together so that they make sense Um, so philosophy reason and scripture um, revelation um, are all they all interconnect they all agree with each other and they describe life in a way that we actually live and experience it Mm -hmm. so if your theology if you can't live your life as though your theology is true um, I would say that that's incorrect because in my view, philosophy, reason, and scripture always describe life as we live and experience it.
1: I think that's why some people like to go back to your origin story, like you're a superhero. uh, (laughs) To go back to your origin story. I think that's why some of us have such a visceral reaction when we first hear on something like Calvinism, right? Where it's like, well, you're totally depraved, unable to choose God. But there's yeah. unconditional election, but only for a limited amount. Only there's limited atonement. But God will save you through His irresistible grace, and only those who preserve, persevere to the end will make it. Um
0: yeah, if you, you start with that point, yeah, it it, does, it all interlocks, right? And you so, know the five points interlock. You start with you know no one does good, and you're like, well, everybody's totally depraved, and. So it has to be without condition and it's got to be limited or everybody would be saved and it right. be irresistible because when he gives it to you, you got to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. And if he gave it to you, you're going to persevere. So it's not, you know, it's not like we're saying you can't find it in the Bible. We're just saying you need to look at the origins of that. Right. Well, and all of them are interconnected, <laughs> right? Like, so yeah. again, all yeah, five it points. It goes in a circle.
1: Right. And so I get, I have us, I think that's why some of us have such a visceral reaction though, because when you, when you read that, you understand, you go, how can I consistently even live this out then in my life? Because if I can't choose God and there's no choosing involved and it's just that chosen for me by God's decree where all things happen by according to his will, then I, how, then how do I consistently even live that out? Because that means everything I do has already been determined to some degree.
0: So the, the problem that I see Mm -hmm. is that. When people no, normally look at, you know, total depravity, unconditional election and that, and they want to say that it's wrong, they say, well, um, I do good. You know, load out the soldier that throws himself on a grenade or, mm-hmm. you know, you come up with all of these different things to say that you're not totally depraved. But, you know, whether those are right or not, to me, doesn't matter because that's not the issue. The, the issue when I look at total depravity is what you're saying is that people do not have intrinsic worth and value. Mm. Because if you have intrinsic worth and value, then God would give you the gift of faith. He would unconditionally elect you. Jesus would have died for you. You would be irresistibly saved. That's what I was saying about people look at you know Calvinism and they start taking it to its conclusion. Right. And they're like, well, the conclusion is this. You know, and then Calvinists have all of the, you know, go to monergism.com and you can read explanation after explanation, explaining away those conclusions. Right. But what they don't have, you know, when I say to somebody, so what you're saying is that people are totally depraved and there's nothing in them that would make God choose them is that people don't have intrinsic worth and value. Right. So you're not made in the image of God. Well, that's what uh, I just had that the other day because uh, the Christian rap artist
1: Fanatic recently resigned the faith, hmm. and I saw a, a Calvinist friend comment, uh, you know, basically something to the effect of like, "Don't be afraid, my brothers. Uh, Jesus Christ didn't lose any of his own." Yeah. And for me, I'm like, man, I'm here. I'm taking a gut punch as this guy is walking away from the faith, and this person's going, "Well, he was never from Jesus. He wasn't ever never belonged to Jesus anyway." And it the, the implication, whether they'll admit or not, with explaining it away is there is no worth there. You don't have to worry about him because he wasn't chosen. Right. Right. So, and then you, of course, they will always double down and still say something to the effect of like, yeah, but they're they're still valuable as in they're an image bearer of God. And honestly, I don't know what it means to be a valuable image bearer of God if I'm also not uh,
0: valuable enough to save. Well, I mean, if you read Calvin, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I have the quotes in the book, your intrinsic worth and value and you know James White kind of says this too that your intrinsic worth and value to God is that he wants to put all of his attributes on display and what he the attribute that he is going to put on display um, by damning you to hell is his justice and wrath so the glory of God then is most men damned to hell and you can read Calvin say that in his institutes. So, you know, if you don't like me saying it, Calvin wrote it. So, and it's in his, it's in his a, a treatise on the eternal predestination of God. It's there too. If you want to see it, it's there. Jeez, <laughs> you know, he comes right out and says, the, you know, that's the, the reprobate were made to bring glory to God on the day of judgment.
1: And, and, and honestly, it's what we're saying then is God gets... As much glory by damning souls as he does saving them.
0: Well, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction, so you got to <laughs> kind of say he, he at least gets as much, if not more, because more people go to hell than right. who accept, so, so that I, does seem to be the logical conclusion. Right. But, it's, but it's, the, it's But the premise is that you know, first that people don't deserve to have a loving father. Um, you know, a fatherless generation won't know who they are to God. And I don't know who said that, but it wasn't me, but it's a great quote. and (laughs) I I wish I would have written down who said it, but, um, but yeah, we've talked about that, that, um, you know, that people, people deserve, um, to have a loving father, right? That, um, I, I mean, I remember I was working at home Depot and we were there before the store opened, putting away stock, and we were listening to the radio show, the morning show, and they were talking about this kid. He was walking down the railroad tracks, and he, he had a, you know, back then, before it was digital, <laughs> he had a, a Walkman and headphones on, and he was walking the same direction the train was going. The train ran him over, you know, and he was dead. And, and the you know, the morning show guys were kind of laughing about it, he's like, yeah, he deserved to die. Somebody that will put on headphones and walk down the railroad tracks deserves to die. And it just, you know, talk about a gut punch. Right. I was like, so what you're saying to me is if you were sitting on a park bench by the tracks and that kid was walking down your, you know, your own kid, not mm. even somebody else's, it'd be your son is walking down the tracks wearing headphones and the train is coming and all you got to do is wave at him or whatever. You would be like, no, he deserves it. He deserves to be run over by that train.
1: Right. Right. It's just, you yeah, know. it's scary. Like, yeah. When you think whatever's,
0: yeah. Right. I mean, you go on Facebook and you start, you know, you read stuff like I have this, this screenshot, this lady has a special needs daughter and she just writes this beautiful paragraph about her daughter saying how she deserves to have a loving mother. She deserves to have a loving father. And we don't talk about our own kids like that. You know, right. <laughs> we don't say, "Oh man, I, I hope my daughter grows up and, and marries a scallywag," and you know, he beats her and treats her. You know, we're right. all like, "Oh, you're a beautiful person. You deserve to find a good man." You know, right? When a wife's when a woman's being abused, we're like, "You don't deserve to have a," but we're like, "You don't deserve the love of God."
1: Right. It's weird. It is really weird, and that's actually yeah. what's funny. So people are like, so you're saying that mankind deserve. I'm like, well, if we're and it actually, it, again, it comes down to a value issue. So if God looks at creation and said it was very good, right? He looks at creation. It was all good. Of course, mankind falls into sin. But then he sends his son to save them. That's saying you have worth. But then yeah. when you're saying, but I only chose to save certain ones, then what are you really implying? It's not. So if Jesus, and the way I look at it, like God, Jesus provided an atonement for everyone, is that uh, because we know we've all read the end of the book, right? Wrath is poured out against the ungodly, but it's like, it only makes sense that God would pour out his wrath. If he made every effort and every doorway possible for any person to come unto him. And then only then, if you reject him, then it then comes to the point of you actually deserve it because he's made every way (laughs) to not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like C.S. Lewis says, uh, you know, when the, when the author walks onto the stage or whatever, you know, in, in times, you know, the judgment has come, he says, um, it, it won't do any good, you know, then to say that you're willing to bow when you can no longer stand. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. It's, you know, it's kind of late then. Right. But, you know, historically, if you, um, you know, you read in Romans, because y- you'll see often um, that people don't merit the love of God, or, or it says, what do they say? Um, uh, if you merit grace, it's no longer grace. Right. Yeah. 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 If, yeah. Yeah. If but, you earn but it or they, whatever. But you when you, it. when you look at the verse in Romans, what it says is if you have to, Paul says, if you have to earn grace, grace that you earn is no longer grace. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true because we're not saying that we earn our salvation. Right, we're not saying that I have to be good enough, or follow the law, or do something to earn God's love. Your daughter didn't do anything to earn your love, right? No, she was born, and you love her unconditionally. Absolutely, right? Yes, same thing. You know, we're created in the image of God. God loves us unconditionally, and there's nothing we can do to earn grace. So they change the word "earn" in that verse to "merit," and they say if you merit grace, well, what else does merit mean? Well, an idea has merit. Right. Right?
1: Oh, Which means it has worth. If
0: I say, yeah, you know, you're like, oh, let's go do this. Oh, your idea has merit. Well, it's the same thing. That means worth. Right. So by taking the word merit, which means earn, which is what the verse says, and changing it from earn to merit, and then merit also means worth, then you can say people aren't you're not worth grace, right? It's Which, a, it's a sleight of hand, you know. Yeah, and what all no solo scriptura there.
1: Shots <laughs> oh. <laughs> fired. Um, yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, uh, I mean, I kind of like that. It's because that's what that bothers me, right? It's like this, we devalue man. And that's one of my biggest things about why I'm ardently against abortion. Why? Because I believe every person is created. Every person is worth. Yes. Um, I I beg, I have walked people off the cliff from suicide, a few people. Mm -hmm. And that was also the same thing. You are valuable Um, and God loves you. And then, uh, you know, you mentioned my daughter. Brian already knows this. The moment I saw her, she was two months early emergency C-section. She's in this little incubator box. Covered in tubes. I could barely make out her face. Like, I couldn't even really yeah. see it. You and feel it. Yes. And the moment I saw her, I was like, man. I would take every bullet in the world for this child. Yeah. Um, in fact, actually, Brian's heard this story a thousand times. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. Like, my first paternal instinct was probably 20 minutes after she was born, they had to give her an IV. And as they put it down, of course, she's got those tiny little hands. Oh, she's only uh, 2.3 pounds or something like that. Uh, yeah. 3.3. I think it was 3.3. Anyway. And so it's the tiny hands of the needle just looks like it's like raising out of her skin. Yeah. And as they put that in, she screams louder and crescendos as it goes deeper. And I don't know why I had this, un- this seething rage to throw the doctor through the window <laughs> and he's doing his job. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like, why? Because I was saying my daughter has value. And again, if I'm creating the image of God and therefore I reflect him, his attributes, if that's how I am with my daughter, how much the more is he with his creation?
0: Right. Yeah, there's nothing your daughter can do that will make you love her more. Nope. Nothing she can do that will make you love her less. Nope. And, um, boy, there's another thing that goes along with that, and we're on camera, so I can't think of (laughs) (laughs) it. Of course, that's how it always works. Um, So, yeah, anyway. um, Yeah, so so we kind of, you can go through church history. That's, like, how it makes sense to me, Um, how I explain it so that... um, I don't know. So people can grasp it, I guess. Well, it's so, helpful to also see how thoughts change yeah, and so shifted. Let so, me yeah, hand this ahead. to you, and then oh. I brought oh. you a gift. I lo- oh, my goodness. And you can look at that a minute, and I'll talk for two minutes. Go ahead. Do your thing. <laughs> I've actually <laughs> so, been looking at this for so long. I've wanted yeah. this. This is awesome. So this is kind of the presentation that I do. I, I really like Roger Olson. He says, before you say, I disagree, be sure you can say, I understand. Oh. So um, theology is the science of God. Um, Yeah, C.S. Lewis says, uh, let me get my glasses so this stuff's in focus and it's easier to read.
1: Get it in HD.
0: He says, I think any man who wants to think about God at all would like to have the clearest and most accurate ideas about him which are available. Uh, So reason is logical thought by rational creatures. And... um, you know, I quoted C.S. Lewis, unless human reasoning is valid, no science can be true. So theology is a science of God. You need reason for valid conclusions and meaning. Philosophy, reason, and scripture all need to agree with each other in an internally, logically consistent harmony and describe life as we live and experience it. So philosophy comes first, which is a love of wisdom. to take pride in going wherever the truth leads and having the humility and integrity to admit when we are wrong um and to for ourselves to act in the manner that we want other people to act when we tell them that they are wrong <laughs> <laughs> right so this you know what i'd like to you know talk about is what i wish i had been told 30 years ago because this has been such a long journey that um you know, if I'd known this back then, it, it would have been so much easier. Um, Let's go with it. Yeah. So, take it away. So I have, a, I have a, a, a new analogy. This will be the first time I've ever explained it. I, so I'm like excited. We're the guinea pigs. Kind of what I've learned in the last month, what I was telling you about. So, this is, so I'm going to tell you a little story about myself when I was a kid, and only part of it's true. So <clears throat> when, I was, when I was four, I went to kindergarten. And before I went to school, I could already speak. I could say, mom, 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 <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> dad, and I want, stuff like that. So the school I went to was, um, it was a small town, but there was 60 kids in each class. So there were two classes, two kindergarten, two first, two seconds. And the, the principal, um, because the school had had to expand because of the baby boom, mm he had had to hire a whole new set of teachers. So it used to be one kindergarten, one first, one, but now there were two. And the old school teachers, the way that they taught was different than what the new school teachers were, were teaching, okay? So when you went to school, my, my older brother, he was a year older than me, when he went, he got the new kindergarten teacher, So when he went to first grade, he got the new first grade, the new second grade, all right? But when I went the following year, they put me with the old school people. So I went kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, all right? And then I have a younger brother, and he went, and then more people came, and instead of getting, so he got, like, the old school, and then in first grade, he got the new school, and he got getting bounced back and forth. So I, like, I took all one side, all old school. My brother, older brother, took all new school, and my younger brother, he got smorgasbord, (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. All right. So what we were taught was how to read. So we went to school already knowing how to talk, but we went to school to learn how to read. So when I went, I learned to read phonetically. Mm. Now, you've probably seen the, the funny shirt, you know, hooked on phonics worked for me and it's spelled all weird, you know, <laughs> but that's how I learned to read was phonetically. And because I had all teachers with the same philosophy, that's how I learned. Mm. So, I graduated from fourth grade, went into fifth grade, and we moved, and um, my parents would have devotions with us in the morning before school. We had to get up, and um, yeah, it was terrible, but we'd get up, we'd read a Bible verse, we'd pray, and then we would get ready for school, and one day my dad's like, you know, he hands us the Bible, and he's like, oh, it's your turn to read. You're old enough now. You read the verse, so I like, you know, read it, and it was King James, so I just sounded out the words, you know, and said what they were. So the next day, he hands it to my, my older brother. He's like, you read it. So he starts reading the verse, and he gets to a word, and he's like, I don't know what this, I don't know what this word is. And I'm like, sound it out, dummy. <laughs> you know? He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, it's spelled, and he spells it. And I'm like, well, sound it out. He's like, what are you talking about? So what we found out was he had been taught sight reading, Oh. He never learned phonics. huh? So we both went to school, the same school. We both had teachers that had different philosophies. Mm. So one taught me hooked on phonics. The other one taught him sight reading. And when we went to the Bible, we were both reading the same verses, but it was different for us. Mm. Okay, does that make right. sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So, so my mom... When you think about it, being able to speak, being able to talk, is like your is that's like salvation. <laughs> so we're not saying that because I learned phonetics, I'm saved, and my brother learned sight reading, and he's not. Right. 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 Right, okay? right. Right. So then, but the principal, he knew that this group had one philosophy, and he knew this group had a different philosophy. So what you want to be in this example is you want to be like the principal. You want to be able to know the two different philosophies. Mm. My younger brother, he got one year this way, the next year that way. He just came out confused. He's like, sometimes he'd use phonics, sometimes he'd use sight reading. And he didn't know either, right? Right. So sometimes you can just grab from both sides of the table because it's a smorgasbord then, (laughs) okay? So in this example, the school is the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. So both of these philosophies that are in the church All they all came from the Roman Catholic Church, so um, the way that I explain it then is when you start with philosophy to understand where the theology came from is um, with Augustine. So he's in the fourth century, and Augustine was a Platonist. He um, you, you have to read about his life. I can't describe it that quickly, but right. his mom was a Christian. He walked away from the faith. He went to Italy, you know, became a Christian, came back, and was made bishop. Right. So he's, he's in North Africa almost his whole life. Just a couple of years he was, in, he was in Italy. And he taught rhetoric, but, his, but according to Augustine, his first love was philosophy. And his, his philosopher was Plato and Aristotle, they say, was lost to the West. That's how it's described. Mm. So you read G.K. Chesterton, that's what he talks about. There, um, Aristotle was lost to the West, um, Aristotle was kept in the East by um, Islam. So Avicenna, so Islam started in the seventh century, Augustine was in the fourth. Right. right. So Augustine is writing, um, he's very ambitious. <laughs> to put it to put it lightly, and you, you never know, read the City of God? Against the no. yeah. Against against the Pelagians, against. Um, boy, where the there was more than that, but oh yeah, yeah. He wrote a bunch of them. And then the City of God, which has some great stuff in it. He wrote on the Trinity. He wrote on freedom of the will. There's um, on the predestination of the saints. That's where the Calvinist Romans 9 comes from.
1: Oh, yeah, the predestination saints. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I want you to talk about that here in a second, too. It is, it is interesting to read uh, Augustine because you see him change as he goes. Yeah. Like, you start seeing his yeah. mind completely. Yeah, he, he gets his ideas. So somebody goes, well, Augustine contradicts himself. It's like you see his mind change as he went. So, but yeah, you're right. So anyway, in predestination saints with the Romans 9, continue, I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. Yeah, so,
0: so Augustine was, he was a Platonist. So his view of God came from Plato. Right. And what were Plato's? So Plato um Plato wrote Parmenides and Socrates and his own stuff. So when you read Parmenides, it's written by Plato, but it's supposed to be what Parmenides taught. Okay. So Parmenides taught that there is only being and non-being. And this cup has being, this bottle has being, this book has being. There's only being and non-being. Everything that is either has being or non-being. So then, so this is what's called monism, M-O-N-I-S-M. If you read Miracles by C.S. Lewis, he talks about it. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Deepak Chopra, who was on tour with Oprah a few years ago anyways, he is a monist. Um, we just talked about this. What are the names again? Uh, Names
1: for Richard what? Dawkins, oh Richard Dawkins, uh, Sam Harris, Sam Harris, and wasn't uh, Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking right. thanks
0: Brian. They are all monists. Mm-hmm. They all believe in, in monism, so, which is
1: being and non-being.
0: Right. So nature or ma- material is the whole show. So, so there only
1: is that which exists, and then nothing.
0: Right. If something either has being or non-being, and if there's no God, then everything that has being is not God. Right. So the there's no God. So there's only the material world, the natural world. Mm-hmm. So hence naturalism. So yeah. So Parmenides' philosophy is still used today. Mm-hmm. It's used by atheists and it's used by absolute pantheists because if if there is a God and God has being and everything that has being is God, then this is part of God. Right. Then that cup is just as God as you are. Right. And, you know, the, the dream that you have to wake up from is that you are not God. <laughs> you know, that's absolute pantheism. You right. are God. You just got to realize it. So again, only being a non-being. So what, what Socrates did is he said Parmenides was wrong because we can differentiate by negation. So the book is not the table. The table is not the floor. The floor is not the ceiling. The ceiling is not the wall. So um, he just said the, the difference between things, be, you know, so we can have a difference between people and God and animals and that is just because the animal is not, a, you know, not the wall. The wall is, so is by negation. And, you know, Geisler writes about this in his Systematic Theology. He just says, but Parmenides would still just saying, does the wall have being? <laughs> does the horse have being? You know, they, they're still the same. It's still just being and non-being. So what Plato did is he rejected the universal of being and non-being. So he rejected universals. And and what he taught is also called realism. So there's Platonist realism. Um, And then he taught the forms. So Parmenides said that anything that has a nature has a form. And God, since God has a nature, God has a form. And we were just listening to William Lane Craig and, I think, Ryan Mullen. Yep. And William Lane Craig was saying he doesn't believe in divine simplicity because divine simplicity denies that there are forms in God. That's what he said. That's his, you know, his, his word was there are no forms in God. So he doesn't believe in divine simplicity. So what Plato did is, if you read in the Republic, he has these watchers in the den, So it's these people down in a cave. And kind of the easiest way to explain it is you're you're sitting down and you're stuck there and you can only look straight ahead. And there's these people that you can't see and they have a glass and they have a flashlight and they shine the shadow up on the wall. And that's all you can see is the shadow. And you're like, that's the form of a cup. And then they bring out a different, you know, they bring out a wine glass and they shine the shadow on the wall, and you're like, that's the form of a cup. So, those are the forms. So, Plato had like 47 forms or 52 forms or whatever, but there's all of these different forms. And then Plato also says the perfect form you can't see, it's a secret. So, if you were to get up out of the cave and walk out into the sunlight, where the perfect form is, you would be so blinded by the light, you'd be like squinting like this that you wouldn't even be able to see it. So the perfect form is a secret. Right? Right, yes. You tracking? Yeah, yep. I, I keep uh, saying right and I shouldn't, but... No, no, no. <laughs> you know? Me and Brian do it all the yeah. time. We love saying we're right. right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Yeah, so So anyway, so that's the forms. that Anything that has a nature has a form, and... You know, There's the, the form of a cup, form of a bottle or glass or book or whatever it is. So Augustine loved Plato. And when he thought about God, he's like, well, God has a nature, so God has a form of will. So he thought of God as a form of will. Now, when Augustine was a Manichaean, what he wanted to know was a solution to the problem of evil, so Epicurus came right after Plato and... Oh, the Epicurean paradox. Right. So like atheists today are Epicurean monists. Mm-hmm. They, the, the problem of evil is that if God is good and God is all powerful, um, then he would either he lacks the power to stop evil from coming into the world mm-hmm. or he lacks the goodness to want to. But if God is able to stop evil from coming in, and he's good, so he wants to stop evil from coming in, how then does evil come into the world? Right. That's, that's the question. How then does evil come into the world? So that's what Augustine wanted the answer to. That's why he was a Manichaean and he was told that Faustus had the answer to that. Well, when Faustus showed up, he didn't have the answers. <laughs> You know? So Augustine starts writing against Faustus, against Faustus, and he leaves Manichaeism because Manichaeism did not have the answer to the problem of evil. So Augustine had to invent his own answer to the problem of evil because he's a Christian Mm -hmm. and he's a bishop in the Catholic Church. So he's got to come (laughs) up with with a solution to the problem of evil. So what he what Augustine, so before we do that. Let's mm-hmm. stop.
1: Now that we've set up that, okay. Yeah, okay. So
0: we're going to do the problem of evil, but we're going to do a we're going to do a different solution to the problem problem of evil. All right. Okay. So we already talked about um, about realism that all things are possible for God. Um, lying is impossible for God. A thing that is both the truth and a liar is not possible. Right. It's nonsense. So right. It's not that it's something is impossible for God, he can't do nonsense. He can't do what's logically contradictory. Right, he
1: can't make a four-pointed
0: triangle. Okay, right. So in my book, I go to Calvin, and I take all quotes of Calvin about Adam. So there's like seven quotes, and what's interesting is you can take those quotes and you can use them with an atheist and not talk about Adam. You can just say, look, if you were God and you wanted to make a rational creature, what would you have to do to give it freedom to make it be able to be in a relationship with you and not be a robot?
1: Mm.
0: So if you're God and you're good, you would have to give, you know, Adam freedom, or, or you'd have to give this rational, you'd have to endow this rational creature with freedom. Well, how would you give somebody freedom? How would you give a person freedom? Well, you'd set up a test of obedience, (laughs) a way for them to disobey or obey you, right? Right. And if you created this person and you're all good, you would endow this creature with rectitude of nature, Mm. which is what Calvin says. Adam had rectitude of nature. He had the ability to do correctly. He had the ability um, to sin, the ability to not sin. Um, And, you know, it was, this tree was a test of obedience, So what I do is I say, look, you're God, okay, this is the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm Adam, you have told me I am free to eat this, but you've like put a gun to my head, you've said, if you take it, I'm going to kill you right? (laughs) Under threat of violence. (laughs) I mean, that's how the verse reads, you know, the day you eat of it, you will will surely surely die." die, right? So it's like there's a gun to your head. You're gonna, I'm gonna kill you if you take this sucker, right? But you've given me the ability to sin and the ability to not sin. You've told me I'm free to eat from the tree. You've given me rectitude of nature. How can you stop me from taking the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil without either doing what is logically contradictory, giving me the freedom to take it and withholding the, the freedom. freedom at the same time, right, or just being an outright liar.
1: Mm, exactly. Because you
0: told me I'm free to take it. Right. So how are you going to stop me without making yourself a liar? You know, you send monkeys to eat the tree, eat the fruit off the tree. Well, I'm no longer free to take it. Right. So you've... You've lied, right?
1: You've lied, or you're about ready to uh, usurp or, that freedom, and therefore you're still lying,
0: right? So what we say then is either God, it, by what Genesis two sixteen and seventeen says, after God gave Adam the freedom to eat from any tree, after that point, God can't stop Adam from eating the tree. Eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, he can't do it he because can't. he gave the he already gave the he had already liberty given to it to it. them. Right, so, so because it'd be either logically contradictory, it'd make God a liar. He, right. he can't stop, and so so then it's like, well, God can. I'm not going to say God can't. Well, if God can stop Adam from eating, then God can't give Adam real freedom. So this isn't God can versus God can't. This is which God can't is consistent with scripture. Right. And not just scripture, not just consistent with scripture, but consistent with philosophy, consistent with reason. So philosophy, reason, and scripture all tell us that God can't stop Adam from eating after setting up this test of obedience and giving him the freedom to do so. Right. Right. All right? Or you have to say that God can't give real freedom. Right. So it's, it's which God can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right? that's really, okay. yeah, I like that. So, so that's how C.S. Lewis solves the problem of evil. To say that it's logically contradictory. You either have to have a logically contradictory view of the omnipotence of God or believe that God is a liar to say that the problem of evil is true. That if God was good and God was all powerful, that he could have stopped Adam from sinning. Right. Because right. that's a logically contradictory view of the omnipotence of God. Or you're making God a liar. Right, right. right? So So yep. that, that's how Lewis solves it. So Augustine couldn't didn't think of that. So <laughs> Augustine had to have a different solution to the problem of evil. Which we kind of hinted to at a little bit earlier,
1: um, which was oh, right. the idea of forms. There's a secret form of there's a secret form of will, right? Got it. And
0: yeah, so what Augustine said was, when God gave Adam the gift of free will, that is that comes from God's will of permission. So God is to be conceived of as a form of will, and Romans says God has a perfect will. So you look at Romans and you're like, okay, God has a perfect will, so God has a form of will. Well, if he has a perfect will and he gives Adam this freedom that must have been by his will of permission, that he gave Adam the freedom to sin or not sin.
1: So it's where you get the idea of uh, if you read a lot of, of the theology books. Forms, of, yeah, right. Yeah, forms of will. There's two wills of God, a will of permission and a perfect will. Right. Was what they would say. Or I don't agree, to, but...
0: So like, you know, in Calvinism, you have an ordaining will, decreeing will, but you don't have a will of permission. So we'll get to that. But so <laughs> Augustine's solution then was to say that by God's will of permission, he gave Adam the freedom to eat from the tree. He could have stopped him, but it was more to his, um, he found that it was better So it brought more glory to God to bring good out of evil than to not allow evil to be at all. So he allowed Adam to eat from the tree. To bring
1: himself more glory.
0: Right. So if you're like, hey, I've been drinking too much. I need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Right. And I say, I'll allow it. That implies that I could stop you. Right. 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 If, If I'm sitting here and I'm like run over to the door and you're like, I'm like, Hey, well, I'll go to. I'm going to the bathroom. You're like, I'll allow it, and I'm like, you can't stop me. Right. I'm already over here. You yeah. know, bye. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. You can't. Stop, you're not allowing me to do anything. So when you say you God allows something, you're implying that God could stop it. Right. So the Augustine said God allowed Adam. So it was you know because he reach. could
1: have stopped it as He thought. Right. Yeah. But as we just so established. So then you got
0: this will of permission. Well. Right. You know, I like to say, well, if I had permission to do it, then why was it wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if Adam had permission to eat from the tree, then why was it a sin? Right. So, and... So anyway, so Augustine conceived of God as a form of will. That was how... And so it comes from his solution to the problem of evil. It comes from the fall. Right. All right. So he wasn't a Manichaean. He wasn't a Gnostic. He borrowed from Plato... So, you know, you can say he was pagan, I guess. He, he took pagan philosophy. He, his philosophy comes from Athens. So he, his view of God comes from Athens. He used that view of God to justify his solution to the problem of evil. And, you know, we were talking a little while ago. You got um, Bishop Barron and William Lane Craig. They're at a thing together, and they're, they're talking, and somebody asks about the problem of evil, and they both give the same answer, and it's both right out of Augustine, because, <laughs> yep. like I said, the school that we're going to, where I'm learning, you know, to read phonetically, and my brother's reading by sight, it's the Roman Catholic Church. Right. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, Protestant or or Catholic. Your view comes from Augustine. That's why it's called Reformed.
1: Because you
0: believe, you view God as a form of will. Mm. So Augustine had this, you know, so his view of, that's his view of God. Well, then um, it's, what, nine, 700 years later is when Aquinas comes on, comes on the scene. And that's when Aristotle comes back into the West. So um, you you read the G.K. Chesterton book on... St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Yes, I did. Yep, yeah. yep. So the, you, uh, you the in there. So you know, Chesterton says Aquinas saved us from being Platonists. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you no longer had to be an Augustinian Platonist after after Aquinas. So Aquinas, the way he solved the Parmenides dilemma, is he said um, there is only being and non-being. However. There is no potentiality in God. God is um, pure essence, he, he, or he's pure actuality. His essence is his existence, and God is pure actuality. There's no potentiality in God. So God's immutable. He doesn't change. You know, there's all of these different he attributes. He can't be
1: added unto things like that. He can't yeah, be changed.
0: Things like that, aseity and impassibility and, you know, all of those things. Um, truth, love, wisdom, justice, the And Um, he he is those things in essence. Yes, but we'll come back to that. Okay, we'll circle. Yeah, we'll we'll circle back. (laughs) So so what he said is, um, created things, everything that God created has potential. So a tree has potential. We can go out and cut the tree down and we can make a table out of it. And then the table gets old. We can cut it up and you know, maybe turn it into a side table. And then we get cold, so we cut it up and we build the fire out of it. Mm-hmm. And then we take the ashes out and we spread it in the garden, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so things have potential. I have potential because sometimes I learn things. It, you know, it's, I'm pretty hard-headed, but every now and then something sinks in and <laughs> I actually learn something. So I have the potential to change because I have, I have the potential to learn. Right. So that's how Aquinas... Um, solved the Parmenides dilemma of being a non-being, is he said that the way that you differentiate between God and creation is that there is no potentiality in God. So, um,
1: so he doesn't have an ability to become from a tree to a no to a table yeah. to a bird <laughs> right 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 So
0: what a, so when you look at it like systematically, um, Aquinas would say. That what's called classical theism the classical view of God classic doesn't mean correct classic doesn't mean old that's just what it's called classical theism says that God is incomprehensible in his essence so his essence is his existence and he grasps all things simultaneously and that's like beyond our comprehension so in his essence God is incomprehensible however his attributes we can know by analogy so Like you love your child, right? Right. Right. This analogy sounds familiar. God loves us, right? Yeah. You know, they. I I like the. I love the story of the prodigal sons. You know. Right. It's like, how does God love us, Jesus? Well, there was this father who had two (laughs) sons. (laughs) You know, his oldest son was an entitled jerk, and his youngest son said, "You're dead to me. Give me all of your money. You know, give me my half of the inheritance." You know, he had to you think about that when, when you're, when you're a a sheep farmer or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in an agricultural setting and you're going to give half your estate to your son, how do you do it? You got to sell half your stuff. Right. Right. And this takes time. And you're in an honor and shame culture. Right. And everybody in town knows that you're selling your stuff because your youngest son hates you and wants out of your house. Mm. Isn't that bizarre? This Mm -hmm. is terrible. You know, the, the people hearing that just had to be shocked. I mean you um, yeah. know. I mean it'd be scandalous. And and he got half the half the estate, <laughs> you know. And then he walks off and spends it on fine dining and whores, you know. Yeah. And then he comes back and the father runs to him and you know, I love you unconditionally. It's crazy, right? <laughs> but that's God. So it's it's like that. So the like God loves like or like you love your daughter, like I love my sons. Is how is like how God loves us, but God is perfect. So I don't love my kids perfectly. Sometimes I'm selfish and I sit down and play video games without them. (laughs) Right. But God doesn't do that. Right. God is wisdom. He knows how to love you perfectly. Right. So it's all of these, He has the power to love you wisely, perfectly, justly. They they all coextend to each other. They're always, always this, you know.
1: Which coincides with the Bible saying that God is love Yes. right he is love so therefore i mean it would make sense that that's a pretty strong hint to some of these truths
0: right there's lots of things you know god is um he's not like shadows he doesn't change you know god doesn't change um the one that i like is he is what first john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins so we're talking about our kids right so i go to my son And I say, look, I walked by your room this morning. It's a disaster. I'll give you 20 bucks. You go up and clean it. He's like, wow, how clean, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we agree on a standard. I got the 20 bucks. He goes upstairs to his room. He cleans his room. He comes back down. Dad, I'm done. I go up and I look. Okay, yep, you've cleaned your room to your standard. He's like, give me my 20 bucks. I'm like, no, I don't have to give him $20. (laughs) Because I can lie. (laughs) <laughs> you think about that. I don't have to be faithful. I don't have to be just. Just because I promise, just because I promised my son that I'd give him twenty bucks for cleaning his room doesn't mean I have to do it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? But God can't do that. Right. He's he is bound by faithful his nature. and just God must. When God makes a promise, I love that Robert Robert Service poem. A promise made is a debt unpaid. Mm. When God promises to you that if you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive you. Those he sins. has to, right? Because he's faithful and just, he can't lie to you. Right. So me being able to lie and God, not God, not being able to lie doesn't make me more powerful than God.
1: Right. No, it's silly. Right? So
0: you're, you're tracking, right? Right. Absolutely. tracking. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So we're, you know, that's how we see God. He's incomprehensible in his essence He's understood, his, um, he's conceived of as his attributes. His attributes are understood by analogy. Um, there's natural law. And this, again, is in my book. So um, natural law is that something holds its right or wrongness intrinsic to itself. And it's also like, we were talking about that verse where it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Right. Go, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know. But that's part of what's called natural law. So... Um, evil holds its its badness intrinsic to itself. Evil is always evil. Um, Love is always good. Hate is not intrinsically good or evil, because if I hate evil, that I am doing what is good. Right, right, (laughs) right, right. If I hate my neighbor... You're doing, what, I'm is doing bad. what is bad. So <laughs> hate does not hold its goodness or badness intrinsic to itself. So that's natural law. That right. there's that couple different concepts to it. But one is um, goodness or badness is intrinsic holds its, its itself intrinsic to itself. And that is um, so. This is what's called intellectualism. Um, your phys- philosophical and, and theological intellectualism. That is that something is good, therefore God wills it, and. God is to be conceived of as his attributes. And then, so then the opposite side of that, if you're an Augustinian Platonist, so that doesn't matter if you're um, Roman Catholic um, and you're an Augustinian. So John Duns Scotus was an Augustinian, um, William of Ockham, and then Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk who was an Ockhamist. (laughs) So um, what Luther was doing is he was saying that Aquinas was wrong. Right. He was rejecting Aquinas and going back to Augustine. Right. And everything that he taught, not, not everything, most everything he taught comes from Augustine. Mm-hmm. So he, has a, he conceives of God as a form of will.
1: Which is also where a lot of the issues that we have have today. Which is, mm-hmm. why did God ha- make you know something bad happens? God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why did you? It's because yeah, you're it was, looking at him sort as of a f-
0: daining will or his
1: yeah. permissive will. You're or making it, it out like
0: will or, yeah, like
1: God's will. God God willed that to happen to you. Yeah, because you view God as a form of will. It Took mm-hmm. me a long time to figure out why that was like that. That was the main issue that I saw today. Because right. a lot of people are like, oh man, my my. That, you know, I, I experienced all this abuse as a child. Why did God make that happen? Why would God, why yeah. would God put me in that situation where it's like, well, again, God isn't a, just a form of will. He has a will. A right. will is one of, you know, is a part of him, but he's not to be conceived of only as a form as of will. A will, Right. Right.
0: Yeah. So when, when Calvin came to Augustine, he said, yeah, Augustine's mostly right. But, um, he has this section in his, his treatise on it where he says that Augustine's, Augustine's wrong, that there's a will of permission. He said there is no will of permission in God. So mm-hmm. he disagreed with that. And he said instead that everything happens as God ordains it. So you can read his um, commentary on Genesis. You can read Concerning the Eternal Predestination of God, a treatise on the Eternal Predestination of God on the bondage and liberation of the will. So that's where, you know, where his thinking comes from again is from Augustine, that God is to be conceived of as a form of will. But because God is simple, he has a simple will, so he can only have one will. Mm-hmm. So for Augustine or for Calvin, sorry, everything happens by God's ordaining will. So then you have, you know, like Acts 17 where God overlooks the time of ignorance and now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Well, if that's God's will, because God's command is consistent with his will, God commands all men everywhere to repent, then everyone would repent. Because Everything happens as God ordains it. Right. Right. So, therefore, if He wants, wills it, if He commands it, then it must happen. But that doesn't happen. Right. Right. So, God's ordaining will, you have to say, well, so what Calvin said is, well, God has a secret will. What His. Similar to
1: the cups we were talking about. Yeah.
0: His ordaining will is a secret. So, there's. So, when he says he commands all men everywhere to repent, you would think that because everything happens as he ordains it, that everyone would repent, but his real will or, you know, his secret, secret will, or whatever. So, yeah. we just don't know. And, and then he describes it just like Plato does. He says, if you actually saw the real will of God, you know, the perfect will of God, it would be so bright and shining that you would, you know, it'd be like getting up in the middle of the night and trying to go into the bathroom you know, find the toilet. You'd be like, oh, I can't see it. It's, well, it's so, so bright. bright, yes. Yeah, so it's just, it, it, you, it makes so much sense of stuff. So then Arminius, again, you can read Arminius, and his disagreement with Calvin was that he said Augustine was right. Calvin, you're wrong. Everything doesn't take, by God, take place by God's ordaining will because that makes God the author of evil. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. So he said, no, Augustine was right. God has a will of permission. So if you're Arminian, again, you're conceiving of God, you know, as a form of will. that comes from Athens. And, and then if the Molinists um, come from the Jesuits, and um, I think there's like 12, 12 sects of Roman Catholic and 11 of them were Augustinian. Mm. So that's why Luther was an Augustinian monk. So unless you were Dominican, you had an Augustinian Platonist view of God as a form of will. So you say, um, so you start with rationalism. Your first step is rationalism. You rationalize that God could have stopped Adam from sinning because he's omnipotent. Therefore, it must be good that evil happens. So when God wills evil to happen, it's good that evil happens. Which is a contradiction, by the way, right? Well, you and I would say that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I just have a hard time. Like, yeah, So right. it's good that evil, okay. Right. So if God wills evil and what God wills is good, then evil is good. Right. So so you, then it can was. You, can you yeah. say that one
1: more so I want to... cuz this is that's one of those statements that I have that you say that I'm always like and God I'm like I just feel like it's a throat punch. Um
0: yeah. because so, what it
1: is, if we're saying that God wills everything, including evil, and that evil happens cuz it's good. Say that again for me. I think yeah, want our if, listeners to really get that.
0: If God wills evil and what God wills is good, then evil is good. Right. And God commanded Adam to not eat from the tree, but God willed him to do it. <laughs> by So that's what Calvin says in, in his commentary on Genesis. God ordained Adam to eat the fruit, and it could not be otherwise. He had to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if God wills you to do the opposite of what he commands you, then the will of God is opposite the command of God. So when God commands you, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's just his revealed will. His ordaining will is... That you go out and have a good time. Mm. <laughs> Brian Like that. <laughs> Brian's like, oh, hey. Got him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Minimize, now, rationalize, and justify away my sin. <laughs> you
1: know, God, why would you will me to do that?
0: Like, uh, it's, yeah. that's hilarious. Uh, Brian. Yeah, so that's why I talk about going to the presupposition. Right. You know, that's where it starts at instead of taking it to this, well, that means God's the author of evil. No, it doesn't. You know, how do you, you know, that's just a conclusion. You're just saying, well, I don't agree with your conclusion. I don't find your conclusion um, compelling. Right. (laughs) That, That God ordaining evil makes God the author of evil. I find that. Okay, well, how about the will of God is opposite the command of God? Are you good with that? Right. How about if... God wills it and what God wills, God wills evil and what God wills is good, evil is good. You okay with that? Also, actually, so, another thing to think about, like, as far as, like uh, again, to go back
1: to the rapper uh, fanatic who recently left the faith.
0: Yeah.
1: One of the things that stuck out to me with that is uh, the Calvinist answer, of course, well, perseverance of the saints. He must have just never have been saved. He must have just never known God. Yeah. And one of the things I thought is, you know, I think about, it, and you and I have talked about. So here's the thing if God. If I believed, at least I thought I did, in my entire being that I was a follower of Jesus, just to find out in the end I actually never really, really was a follower of Jesus. Like, oh, no, you just never really were a true believer. Yeah, you were a tear. Yeah. What, well, that, what, that, what that ends up telling me is the fact that if God willed that, then God willed to deceive me. Right? Because I believed, yeah. I could have swore. I mean, how else was I supposed to know that I wasn't one of the chosen or that I wasn't elected or that I, my faith wasn't genuine? When these people, like I'm hearing Rhett and Link, we've, we've talked about them here. Uh, we've had Mar- we talked about Marty Sampson, now Fanatic, and then we've talked about others. And it's like, these people were as convinced as possible. You hear them like, no, I'm totally a Christian. I totally believed it. Right. And it, well, what we're saying is that God is able to, What again, his will and his command is different, and he commanded you to believe that. But, but it doesn't
0: will you to. <laughs> but doesn't will you to. So, yeah. so it's God deceives. A yeah, it's all a mystery. <laughs> it's so all, it's a all a mystery, yeah. Secret so, will, secret will. Keep right. so that's, to that. So that's voluntarism. So you go from rationalism to voluntarism that what God wills is correct because he willed it. So who are you to question God?
1: Who are you, oh man?
0: Right, to question God. If God wills evil, it's... Good that God willed evil, because who are you to question God? Um, yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about that in the, the Magician's Nephew. You can right. Read that paragraph, you know?
1: Well, Voluntarism. yeah. Volunteerism, yeah. when I really realized what that was, I'm like, that is not right. That, right. That's not accurate.
0: So then the other half is, um, so God is to be conceived of as a form of will. Philosophical volunteerism, theological volunteerism. God is to be conceived of as a form of will. What God wills is correct, because he so willed it. Um, And then you have equivocal predication. So, I mean, we've dealt with this in the group where Mm -hmm. people are like, you know, how can a loving God do that? Well, where do you get your definition of love from? Because what is love for God is completely different than what is love for you and me. Right. And, you know, I sent you that Roger Olson article where he, you know, he talks about that. He documents it. This is what Calvinists say, that what's love for God is you can't impose your sense of justice on God, or your sense of, you know, your analogical predication of the love of a father for their son, you can't impose that on God. It's completely different for God. What's, what's love for God? Which it's, also makes you wonder... Right, that's then, equivocal predication. Yeah, then yeah. how do I even define
1: love if yeah, I can't even well, trust my own so, experience to yeah, some degree so or God other. is
0: incomprehensible in his essence, and God's attributes are incomprehensible. So it's not God is incomprehensible in his essence, and he's to be conceived of as his attributes, and you can understand them by analogy. It's that God is completely incomprehensible. You can't know what's love for God. He's incomprehensible. You can't know what's just for God, because it's whatever God does. I've dealt with that actually in my apologetics class
1: on Sundays. I've had a few of ladies in the church go well, why do we even do this? You know, I just think God is just so far above our minds. He's so
0: far above us that we, that's another favorite verse, you know? He's so far above us, we just can't know. Right, right. So that's equivocal predication. That's what you're using. It's philosophy. Right. You know, and that's, you know, John's done Scotus. So that's so there's nominalism, and that comes from Scotus and Occam. You know, some people say Scotus didn't do it, but I think he was guilty of it. So <laughs> nominalism, that goes back to Augustine, where he said... Look, my solution to the problem of evil means that God's the author of evil. That and I've got this problem that God is willing Adam to do something that he commanded him not to.
1: But it just must be good.
0: So he he says then that the rules of the logicians do not apply to God.
1: Right. So therefore God is able to be logically contradictory. God
0: can do what is logically contradictory.
1: Which is problematic in a number of ways.
0: Well, it is for you and I, <laughs> because when you understand that there's a way to solve it without God doing what is logically contradictory, then there's no need for God to do what is logically contradictory. So you don't end up in voluntarism, equivocal predication, nominalism, and then compatibilism comes from all of that. Right, right. And all of the tenets of compatibilism are in the bondage and liberation of the will by Calvin. Mm-hmm. That's another. You know, it's a lovely book. You can buy it and read it. It's, he lays it out really well. Mm-hmm. So he is a good writer. Yeah. So then, okay. So, um, yeah. So then everything else comes from that.
1: Right. Which is actually what a lot of our, uh, theology day. you don't, can I say what my, the most impressive part right now for me is you just gave everyone like a philosophy, theology, history lesson, <laughs> and you have a notebook in front of you where you have
0: handwritten notes and you didn't glance down at it once. Oh, well, all I had on here was my story about the school, so I didn't have any of the other stuff in See, here. See, that is ridiculous. <laughs> That's,
1: like, Brian, Brian. What? You're fired. I, I have a new co-host. He's smarter. You can't fire me. You, you can't... Uh, I quit. so much ammo on you. That is so true. That, he has so much blackmail, he owns my soul. Um, so... All right, so we see the problems here, right? Because if God is logically contradictory, then it means that God uh, is able to do anything, and you can't really trust anything that the yeah, Bible. you know,
0: First John one nine, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, is He? He can. can, he can does contra- He have to? Th- right. You know, if the other parts don't apply then why does that part apply
1: i was recently accused of this because i was uh, defending this i just realized i'm like flying off camera i'm like really chilling in this chair just listening to you um (laughs) well i was recently accused of this by a calvinist uh because i was like well because god is bound by his nature god is like so wait you're saying mankind is free but god is determined that's the way they worded that because yeah if god can't if god's not free to be unfaithful and unjust then he must be determined.
0: Yeah, so that's why that's I give they, the example about cleaning your room. Right, right. So you're saying that I'm more sovereign than God because I can lie to my child, and God can't lie to us. That makes me more sovereign than God. No, but it's right in Scripture that it's impossible for God to lie. Right. So, so it's not take it, it up with, you know, right. take it up with the Book but, of Hebrews. I say that God is determined.
1: <laughs> either it's just yeah, the fact that a, God, is God. God is determined. God is his nature perfectly. He's
0: all... Well, when, when God made a covenant with Abraham... He can't break it. He bound himself to the covenant. It was his sovereign choice to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. A promise made is a debt unpaid. Mm-hmm. When he made that covenant with Abraham, there was a future debt that he bound himself to. Absolutely. And he's faithful and just, and he's not a liar. He can't lie. Right. So that's... That's. I mean, that's what the Old Testament said. He swore by himself, right? Or isn't there? That's Hebrews, right? Right,
1: right, right, right. There's
0: nothing higher that I can swear by than myself. So I'm going to swear by myself because I can't. It's impossible for me to lie. It's you know because mm-hmm. he's goodness. Can look that verse, up. Yeah, he's goodness. His goodness. <laughs> his
1: goodness uh, he is good. He is love. He is those things in his yeah. nature. He is the very source of those things. Right. So to say that he can do otherwise is to say that God it can contradict and therefore God, it doesn't necessarily have to be loved. He doesn't necessarily have to be good, which would actually be completely contrary to his nature. For example, it's like telling me not to be eccentric. When I'm <laughs> like, that is yeah. my nature. <laughs> right. Actually, it's one of the funniest things at work. I'm told all the time, Will, why don't you just slow down? You don't always have to be running. Like, cause I'll, when I go to the office, I'm moving quickly. I'm like, I don't know. I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's my nature. So uh, if we're going to say that, um, I just think it can be maybe if we can say analogous, um, that might be a helpful way. We are, you know, God, is that's his nature, just like you have a nature. Um, right. So and we are all bound by our natures.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've I told you that on being an essence by right. Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. I've read that at, at least four times cover to cover, and I'm just finally starting. It's slowly drifting in. <laughs> through, so, this, through this thick skull. To be fair, but I think any amazing. Amazing book.
1: Whether you agree with Aquinas or not, anytime you read him, you might have to read him a few times to fully get everything right, he's saying. Right. He's deep.
0: Yeah, and I'm not saying everything Aquinas said is right. Right, I, no. You know, I'm, I'm not Roman Catholic. <laughs> I, have, I have lots of things that we can object to Roman Catholicism over. Right. Um, but, it also, but, but
1: there's also this weird thing, uh, and I run into this all the time in the, in the churches, that they throw the Catholics out entirely. Like, all Catholic theology must be bad. I'm like, well, right. if you go through our history, one, all of us came from the Catholic Church to one degree or other. We're all influenced yeah. by Catholic theology some way.
0: Yeah, Calvin says, I could, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I could write a full confession of my faith using nothing but quotes from Augustine, mm. who was a bishop, and the Catholic Church, right? <laughs> he <laughs> got the Pope to condemn Pelagius as a heretic. That's how Catholic he was,
1: right? Which is funny because that that we, we had uh, Warren uh, Warren McGrew on with Idol Killer talk about yeah. the myth of Pelagianism. To one, because mm, there's mm-hmm. a lot of issues of that. Probably something we don't really have a, too much time to dive into tonight. No, but um, maybe another time. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of those things. So okay, now we so we've, we've discussed these issues. So what would you think then? Is the answer to this, like if you were to take the issue of the free will versus God's sovereignty, what would be the easiest way for you then to articulate now that we've set all the philosophical groundwork
0: yeah um i so my wife just got her master's, and I was telling you how I helped her with her thesis and mm-hmm. I had to be very careful because she had to write it all right so. <laughs> and as a writer yourself you're like "Ah." yeah i'm like i could just write that for you or here just copy this but so we had to sit and have all of these discussions and her uh, you know one of the things that she said to me is why are you always starting with what god can't do (laughs) that you know that's her complaint and she's like you know let's talk about what god can do i'm like but you've got to start with what god can't do god couldn't stop adam from sinning um God loves you unconditionally, can you make your daughter love you? No. Right. You can't make your daughter love you. God can't force you to freely love him. Right. So that's where I start. There are things that God can't do. And when you start with the things that God can't do and you get those things from Scripture and you stop getting your view of God from Athens... You get your view of God from <laughs> Jerusalem, where, you know, God is these, all of these things that, you know, Scripture says, God is light, God is love, God doesn't change, God is faithful, God is, you know, all of these things are in Scripture. Right. He's to be conceived of as his attributes. Right. And, you know, that's how Jesus describes him, is by analogy. Right. So Continually, let's, in all his right, parables. Get our view of God from Scripture, toss out. The forms of will stop thinking of God as a will, and the 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 other pieces follow. Um, so I know the lot Romans lot. nine thing isn't going to the Romans nine thing is different. Right. So you know. Did you we, want to talk about Romans nine for a no, second? Oh man, that's hour and a half. <laughs> We're right at an hour and a <laughs> half. We're an hour and a half. Oh. So, yeah. So we need to you know free will. We need to talk about. Um, you know, I keep telling you I don't believe in free will. I, I don't believe in saying the term free will, because when I say, or it you say, God re- has free will, or I have free will, then it's like, well, then God isn't sovereign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, because you were a libertarian free will, right? I mean, uh,
1: uh, yeah,
0: LFW, baby. Yeah, I hope I beat that out of you. Because, <laughs> man, <laughs> right? and I, uh, I, I don't believe in libertarian free will, and... You know, you could probably say that I believe in free will, but I don't use the term free will because, as I keep telling you, when you say that someone has free will, you reduce the will to an instrument of choosing, and we do not make choices with our will.
1: Well, not just by not just by that Well, because that's why I said before. Like when I use the word free will, which is why I still say I still say libertarian free mm-hmm. will or free will. I am saying uh, when I'm talking to people, just about the free will defense is simply the ability to do otherwise that's all i want. so where i'm referring to free will i'm right, referring to I keep to,
0: telling you not to say that too
1: well i know you do <laughs> but,
0: um. the ability to do otherwise than what
1: the otherwise then choosing a b or c or all the way through z
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we say i can pick up this mug or i can pick up this bottle i pick up the <clears throat> bottle and i'm like well i could have done otherwise i could have picked up the cup you could have so like well who cares I mean, it's helpful to know the fact that because you're responsible of
1: Jordan for picking up that bottle. This
0: is what it usually sounds like when we're together (laughs) (laughs) hammered on, you know, (laughs)
1: beating each other down. Um, but actually, real quick, because I do know people are going to go, Wait, what? Like, he just fought against determinism, now he's denying free will. Um, so what does this guy even believe? So, can you at
0: least, can you at least like synopsize this? Let's go through it really quick. All right. As you were saying earlier, you have a nature. Mm-hmm. And you are you have a different nature than I have. And that, you know, you have different things that you're interested in. Some people do math, and I can't do math. Or, you know, some people... Like Craig is great at grammar. We send him our stuff to edit all the time. Yeah, poor guy. It's his interest, right? <laughs> so, um, and that comes from Romans. Paul says we have a nature. Paul also says we have a conscience. So... Um, Our conscience is impaired, and that I don't always know what is the right thing that I should do, but I always know when what you do to me is wrong. So, like when you disagree
1: with me, you're totally wrong.
0: Right. If I loan you $20 this week and you pay me back on Friday, and next week I come to you and I'm like, hey, Will, can I borrow $5? And you're like, no, loser. (laughs) (laughs) You know, <laughs> <soccer>. <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's not right. I loaned you 20 bucks later. You should be able to loan me five this week, right? Right, right. It, it's, that's wrong. We have a conscience. So we, it's, it's impaired, but it's not broke, completely obliterated. Right. So And Paul says that. We have a conscience. Mm-hmm. We know right from wrong. So we have a nature. We have a conscience. So then in James, James 2, I believe James 2, it talks about intellectual assent, and it talks about um, actually, you know, we see the man justified by works and not by faith alone. So the, the two sayings are faith is a virtue of the intellect and faith is an act of the will. So we have a nature, we have a conscience, choices are made in our intellect Mm -hmm. So I bring in information and I make a choice, but that choice is made in my intellect. My will is free if I am able to act out, to carry out the choice that I made in my intellect. So if I choose to walk outside and jump to the moon, my will is not free to jump to the moon, (laughs) right? But if I'm like, dude, I'm out of here, it's time to go home, I walk out to my van and I choose to turn the key in the ignition... And I, you know, I'm able to do that. I turn the key and start my car. That was a free act of my will. But I don't say that we have free will, because when you say I have, you have free will, it's you've reduced the will to an instrument of choosing, and then you're in that quandary of that automatic thing. Well, you're saying that God's not sovereign. That it's, you know, you're the captain of your soul kind of thing. You know, <laughs> what can God do? You're more sovereign than God, so... I just, I don't like to say we have free will. I like to say we have the ability of better or worse response. So Adam was... The ability of
1: better or worse response seems like a lot more of a
0: mouthful. Yeah, it does. (laughs) But it avoids problems. (laughs) So, So when God commanded Adam, you shall not eat from the tree, Adam had the ability of better or worse response. The better response would have been to obey God not eat from the tree. <laughs> the worst response? Eating the tree. Listening to Eve, right? <laughs> so, taking so the, the fruit and eating it. Does that mean I don't have to listen to my wife anymore? It does not dang it. I've met her. You should listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> She's a good woman.
1: She is. Uh, so um, there I, I just wanted to make sure we clarified that because yeah there's when people hear that they're like what? Because in um, like in contemporary philosophy today, a lot of people use the word free will just to say you can choose. So I wanted you to make sure that yeah. you clarified the fact that you're not saying mankind doesn't have. Freedom. We do have freedom, but there are things that can influence said free choices, even habits, right? We think of addictions, like someone's will might be that they would wish to not act out on their addiction, but their habits and everything else are kind of making
0: that choice. Yeah. Or stacked
1: against them. So I don't get me wrong. I totally know what you mean by that. I usually I,
0: um, and one day I might like the total depravity thing, you know, somebody says total depravity and they're like, well, there's this, I do this good and I love my kids and that's good. And I'm like, you're going down the wrong trail. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you need to ask somebody that believes in total depravity, does everybody have intrinsic worth and value? Tell me that. Tell me, are is, you know, Paul says in Acts 17 that we are all God's offspring. If every person is the offspring of God and they're made in the image of God, do they have intrinsic worth and value? And then if
1: he chooses to save some and not others, then how can we say that there's no partiality in God?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a point.
1: I mean, that's that's one of the things I... It was one of those funny things, because I feel like a lot of people argue those, and then one thing things I'm like, well, how can we get... How can we say that there's no partiality then in God? It's one of those yeah. things I just can't keep going back to. But yeah. Um,
0: well, yeah, I mean, it comes down to then, you know, you, you got to go through Romans 9, mm-hmm. you know? And le- until you show somebody the the different views of Romans 9, I, I, they're stuck, is how I... You know, it's where I would be. So it sounds right? like to me that we need to
1: have a second episode with you on, and we should yeah, just go through Romans we have nine. Yeah, another one. Yeah, want to do that? So yeah, and
0: we want to we want to talk about divine simplicity. Right. Yes. And Romans nine, and we'll talk about Ephesians two eight nine. So yeah, good. it'll be it'll be fun. We'll, Sorry, Brian. You're. F- I wanted in on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to find a way to get you in here,
1: so that way we can do all of us because I I know you'd eat that up. Brian being the previous uh, Calvinist. So um, anyway, Uh, do you have anything you really want to quickly want to add before we close up shop? I'm good. Thanks. All right. Perfect. All right, guys. So I hope you've enjoyed this time with Jordan. He has been a good influence on me and you guys can definitely tell. See right there where we disagreed with each other. Um, And it was perfectly (laughs) fine. Even though I think I just, I just get absurd and I just yell. Um, (laughs) But uh, honestly, guys, find good friends, find good friends that encourage you, challenge you. And, um, you know, if this was helpful for you to maybe understand some of the things, reasons why people wrestle with these things. And maybe if you are from, been trying to figure out like, okay, may, maybe Calvinism is wrong, but why, and why is what's wrong with these other systems? And why do I keep coming to the same conclusions? Maybe what Jordan talked about here was helpful for you. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, you can pick this up for a couple bucks on Amazon. Yeah. What is this? Like what? Like, it's I like think, $3 like, on Amazon. Is it really on a Kindle? Or... Yeah, just just get the Kindle. Oh. You, know, you can get the book for ten bucks. But I
1: like hard, I like I like having the books. Yeah, I know. Fills my shelves and makes yeah. me look intelligent. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, guys, yeah, pick up the book here, um, Kelvin and C.S. Lewis. What was it? Unlocking the ri- solving Kelvin. the riddle of the Reformation. So pick that up if you would like. Um, also join us on the Church Split Apologetics group um, on Facebook, where you can interact with Jordan. Yeah, where he drops my
0: emails in there. So if I'm wrong feel free email me i want to know right you know when somebody like will explains to me something that i'm wrong about my response is thank you <laughs> thanks for the clarification <laughs> actually
1: you. i say all the time like we shouldn't be afraid to be wrong because i or because like if i engage and i'm right cool i just taught somebody something and the truth stood up but if i find out i'm wrong then cool i learned something i'm closer to the truth Right. So, um, and I, uh, you and I both being high in disagreeableness, we tend to find out everything we disagree with before we find out what we agree with. It is easier
0: to explain why something's wrong than to explain a coherent, right, why something (laughs) is right system that nobody else can tear
1: apart. Right. Exactly. So, if this is more difficult. So, if this was confusing for you and we weren't clear, uh, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, if this was helpful for you. Please let us know. And again, guys, uh, your comments, uh, if our favorite comment will be mentioned at the beginning of each episode. So thank you all for tuning into The Church Split and hanging out with us this whole time. And um, we look forward to talking to you with the comments down below. Take care and God bless.